Hello everyone and welcome to 2023! I have to say that uh, the, this year started with a big surprise because we were just voted. First we were nominated to be uh, one of the best coffee podcasts at the Sprudgy Award, but then we were actually voted the best coffee podcast in the Sprudgy Award. So thank you so much for everyone who voted for us and to all our listeners who are following us, thank you so much for supporting. It really means a lot and it really encourages me and uh, all our team here to make more podcast episodes and to invite new guests and uh, try to get some high quality content out there. I want this podcast to be kind of geeky, so that means uh, we are all about coffee and uh, talking about coffee all the time. But uh, uh, to start off the new year, I've actually invited Anja Bakken-Riese, who is an environmentalist um, who is going to talk about coffee and sustainability. And, you know, a lot of other stuff as well. But uh, I think it's such a big part of our industry that, and it's such an important topic in our industry and that touches everyone from farmer to consumer. So what a nice topic to start on. So hope you will enjoy this new episode. And I promise we will try to make an episode at least once a month so that we can continue to push our podcast into new heights. Thank you for listening and thank you for tuning in. And I'll hope you enjoy this new episode. Today I have a very special guest. Uh, she's actually not working in coffee, but uh, I've been uh, wanting to talk to someone uh, that has a lot of expertise uh, about sustainability. So today we're going to talk about coffee and sustainability. And to do that, I have invited uh, Anja Bakkenrise, who is, oh, maybe you can introduce yourself. <laughs> who are you? Um, well, I'm a 35-year-old woman from uh, northern Norway, Tromsø, uh, and I am uh, the leader or the president of a Norwegian environmental and solidarity organization called uh, The Future in Our Hands, eller Framtiden i våra händer. Yes. Yeah. Which is, I think, the biggest environmental... Yeah, we have grown a lot over the past few years. So we're now 45,000 members, which is pretty big in wow. the Norwegian context. And we basically, uh, we work on a lot of environmental and social justice issues, uh, often looking particularly on Norwegian consumption. We have a very high level of consumption in Norway uh, with all its consequences on the environment. Mm but not least also on uh, on the people who are working to produce all these goods that we consume. And we are looking into how to uh, take care of the people, for instance, who are making our clothing, uh, making sure that they have uh, safe working conditions, that they get a living wage and so on. Mm. And we've been working on that for uh, quite a few decades now. But But I feel like right now, where we are now, we have like wind in our sails. Uh, it's. I feel like there's a growing awareness in the public and also in in politics and in business. Yeah, yeah, which is great. I think uh, one of the keys is to uh, kind of force businesses to do something about it. Because just from a personal point of view, uh, at home we recycle all our trash, for instance. But uh, as a business, we don't have mm. the, the same options actually mm. to recycle, which is insane because we produce far more 
a waste. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So I think um, uh, it would be very, very effective if uh, policies force the businesses to, to take action and as part of the business, not something that they that is nice to do. <laughs> exactly. And one of our, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm as a person, like I really believe in um, what we as individuals actually can do and what we can manage to achieve. Uh, but we must never forget who holds the true responsibility. And, and that is within politics and in, in the industry. And last year, the future in our hands, our organization, along with others, we had this massive win when we... Uh, we've pushed for many years for something called the Transparency Act mm -hmm. here in Norway, Openhetsloven, um, uh, and it basically it forces for now the biggest companies, about nine thousand companies in Norway, to uh, make sure that they um, uh, first of all they need to analyze if they're in their supply chain is any kind of risk for um, breaking human rights. Yeah. Uh, and then they need to, um, if they see that there are risks for, for breaking human rights, then they have to go in and they have to uh, make sure that, they, uh, that that doesn't happen. And if they see that it has happened, then they even have to, in some cases, pay or in other ways um, make right yeah. what has been done wrong. Wow. So it's, 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 it will have massive consequences mm. because it follows the entire supply chain. Uh, for quite some time now in Norway, we've seen that companies are saying, oh, but this is not our responsibility because we're just buying from a supplier in yeah. a different country. So this is not us. But now with this new act, they can't. They can't hide anymore. Um, so, so we work on a lot of different layers, but, but we see in, in many regards that we really need to introduce these regulations, these laws to make sure that everyone play b plays by the rules. Mm. I can just uh, think as a coffee buyer, like, how would I enforce that? Because uh, let's say we buy from uh, Kenya. Uh, the Kenyan coffee is, you know, one of my favorite coffees uh, as an origin and regarded as one of the highest quality coffees in the world. But most of the coffees are produced by smallholder farmers. Mm. They have maybe one hectare of land. So they, they actually go and sell their coffee cherry to a cooperative who makes the processing and drying and export. Mm. Um, how would I, you know, so when I buy a Kenyan coffee, it might be coffee coming from 500 farmers that bulks up and becomes a, mm. a batch of coffee that I buy. How would I enforce, you know, <laughs> uh, making sure that they pay their workers well? And, you know, obviously a lot of times it's family picking, but... Uh, Still, you know, we have no guarantee that there's no kids on the farm helping out. And mm. um, yeah, and this is this is basically why the law for now it um, uh, it um, it covers the biggest companies. Mm. So and the, and the, the, those issues that you're pointing on there, it, it basically means that for smaller um, smaller buyers as as yourself, it, it's very hard to go in and actually double check that. And, and perhaps a helpful way would be to buy something that's certified yeah. by a third party. Uh, but of course, uh, the best thing is if, if you can check it up yourself. But for smaller buyers, of course, that's going to be difficult. Yeah. But for the bigger ones, uh, you should. You should. You need to know what you're buying, where you're buying from. Yeah. Um, I mm. mean, as, as a small coffee company, and this is... 
it's not unique in the coffee world, but uh, the majority would normally buy coffee through importers or something who would be able to go to origin. But uh, we have for many years been able to go to origin and buy from producers that we know. And I stay on one of the farms that I buy from, I stay maybe two months here, three months here, because yeah. I have a neighboring farm. Yeah. Uh, so I see what's going on there. And uh, to be honest, uh, Elias, who runs that farm, would not have any workers on his farm if he didn't treat them well. <laughs> because there's a lot of competitions for workers and uh, to get them to come back year after year is quite difficult actually. So you have to kind of do something social and pay, pay them uh, you know, at least market price or preferably above huh. in order for them to come back. That's interesting. Where, which country in the, is this farm? Colombia. Yeah. yeah. So every country is different, of course. Mm. Yeah. I just saw before we move into coffee, because uh, that's of course the main topic for our uh, podcast. Um, I just saw that uh, I was looking uh, your organization up in Wikipedia. By the way, you need to update your membership <laughs> numbers there because it says 27,000. Oh, so yeah. Sorry, Wikipedia is not... Yeah, <laughs> it, I'll, I'll put that down in my planner. Just remember, Wikipedia is not encyclopedia. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, but it says as a core uh, causes, as number one is fair pay, hmm. which is, you know... When when uh, friends of mine and colleagues talk about framtiden i våra händer, we think about environment uh, as the main cause. But your primary uh, core cause is fair pay mm. for those who produce uh, the products that we kind of consume. Mm. How is that uh, integrated with environment? Oh, that's a big question. Um, well, basically... Well, what we see is that uh, when we talk about sustainability, the social and the environmental aspects are almost always interconnected. Like, for instance, we, we work a lot on the textiles industry and um, producing clothing and, and, and shoes. It uh, makes up about somewhere along 8 to 10 percent of the climate emissions, CO2 emissions worldwide. Mm. Uh, but you also have a lot of issues connected to um, chemical pollution, uh, the, um, uh, the water issues, uh, contamination, um, land use, and so on. Uh, but you also see that workers within that industry are working under dire conditions. I mean, we have we see uh, so-called accidents. I don't know if you can call them accidents when it happens on a structural level, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it happens again and again. Indus uh, buildings collapsing, fires, and so on. Um, people dying, um, and and working for, you know, I would not, I would almost not call it a bare minimum. I was in Bangladesh for a few years, a few years ago, uh, and and could see, you know, uh, people living in the most dire conditions in. A, a 10 square meter little shed basically and and I, I i remember talking to a couple of girls who share this small shed and and this was just a normal working flat basically mm. and i asked them what do you do on your spare time and they looked at me like spare time they <laughs> they didn't have any spare yeah. time um and so so what we see again and again is that the social conditions and the environmental conditions they they correlate mm. um and and i think it's interesting as well these past few years there's a development now if you look at the 
the UN, um, the IPCC, the climate panel, mm. uh, they uh, increasingly so not only talk about like pure technical uh, climate issues, they talk more and more about social issues as mm. well. Um, and 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 for me, that's you know what sustainability is all about. You have to see these things together. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I've been working with Elias, for instance, in Colombia for over ten years, uh, very closely. Uh, and to kind of increase the quality of his coffee, of course, the quality of his life. And by doing, uh, maybe in the beginning, we were paying a, a price for his coffee that was a little too high for its quality. But uh, I wanted uh, things to happen faster. So mm. by that, in my head, I'm uh, you know from a consumer country. I thought you know if I pay more, he will put all the money into investing in coffee equipment and equipment that will increase the quality of the coffee. And what I did see was that instead of doing that, he would put all the money into uh, m- making sure the kitchen was uh, renewed and better because they make food for all the workers three times a day. Mm. He would build dormitories for uh, for the workers, new toilets for the women and men separately, new showers, you know, all these kind of things way before he started thinking about the coffee mm. equipment. So now after 10 years, having working with him for 10 years, um, now is the time where we can actually start to discuss uh, and where he's starting to be get interested in di- discussing organic farming, mm. more sustainable farming. We have kind of done that all the time, but uh, and we have started to plant shade trees and stuff like that. But uh, now is the now is the point where he has the economical stability that where he can okay, let's take two hectares of the farm and then we can experiment or, and uh, you know also because also because the fertilizer prices are very high now. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, I wouldn't be able to ask him this, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, no. It would be out of the question. Yeah. But it's it's interesting because we see the same. Uh, I work uh, quite a bit on, on food production here in Norway. And, you know, there's this uh, there's this claim or, or in, in politics as well. You want farmers to reduce their CO2 emissions. Yeah. But Norwegian farmers are struggling just to get by. Yeah. You know, they yeah. hardly get a fair price for they don't get a fair price for the food that they're producing. Yeah. So how can you expect them to invest in climate friendly technologies, <laughs> you know, when they they're hardly scraping by today? Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting because it's so basic. <laughs> you know, people need a you know, proper working conditions. They need to get a fair pay and to have their holidays and all of that. And if that's not in place, you can't dem- demand all these other things yeah. from them. Yeah, that's right. And also, I will get into regenerative <laughs> farming, uh, I think, but um, I think uh, also knowledge is uh, key because uh, one thing is to pay more and stuff like that. But uh, if you don't have the knowledge on how to yeah. kind of uh, use your resources in the best possible way, then you might uh, be wasting a lot. Mm. Uh, not just money, but also, you know, if you have land and so on. All right. Um, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you drink coffee? <laughs> I can see that you <laughs> yeah, do. I'm, I'm sitting here. I just finished my cup. This was very nice. Thank you. I'll tell you what this coffee is, because yes. uh, not many people have tasted this coffee. Um, I would say it's less than uh, 200 people in the world. Oh, wow. And uh, I produced it myself. It's, it's delicious. It's from my own farm in Colombia. And I only produced it by using uh, uh, my own compost that I made on the farm. Uh, and that's it. 
So, um, I'm sorry, tell me as a <laughs> coffee kind of ignorant in production methods, how, how does that work? Can you share that? Yeah, so uh, I'm a, I am a now a coffee farmer part-time. Uh, wow. I have a farm in Colombia. And the goal of uh, my farm is to, to show producers that you can produce more and higher quality coffee without buying fertilizers, without exactly. using pesticides and so on. So far, I have not produced a lot of coffee. <laughs> So I haven't proven anything yet, but I, I'm learning. You know, I've never been a farmer. I, I have never grown a tomato plant, so <laughs> uh, it's a bit difficult. And because I live here, you know, it's I'm the only one doing the work on the farm, so it's a bit challenging. I but I was just visiting a farmer in Guatemala who does the same as me, the same uh, techniques, and he's producing more coffee with higher quality. The farms are more resilient against, uh, you know, hurricanes and stuff like that. Hmm. So uh, it is possible. Um, but uh, most coffee is produced in a mass production in a monoculture. So the first thing you do when you start a farm, you chop down all the trees. You plant coffee trees instead. You start to, of course, degrade the soil immediately mm. when you do that. Mm. Then you need to add nitrogen fertilizer. And then because you do that, you get a lot of weeds, so you spray mm. <laughs> uh, herbicides. And then uh, because the trees are not healthy, you have to spray them with fungicides and all these kind of things. Exactly. So and that increases the cost a lot for the producers uh, and just creates more and more problems. Mm. So we call it more on farming because they have to put more on every year. Yeah. <laughs> more pesticides, more fungicides, more herb herbicides and so on. Mm. So I thought that maybe if we could show farmers a way to break away from that mm. and do what we call regenerative or biological farming, where we use microorganisms, we increase the health of the soil uh, and work holistically on the farm in order to, to have a more healthy farm. Mm. Uh, maybe the production will go down slightly, maybe. But, uh, your but cost in long term, in uh, long term, you know, it won't, because yeah. it, it's a way more resilient way of farming. Yeah, and also your cost will go down. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you, you, it's a lot of work, but it's different work. Uh, it, it's also a lot of work to do the conventional farming, and then you're not uh, depending on oil prices for the fertilizer cost and you know all these kind of things. And you know, a benefit is also environmental impact. Um, and I think you know, in order to do this, uh, the best way to start is actually with smallholder farmers because mm. they could do more like a permaculture system where they grow food for their um, yeah. household have a few chicken running around <laughs> uh, <laughs> pooping a bit yeah. and uh, yeah exactly so mm. um i mean my farm is not like that at all but uh i'm trying to do something in in land that it was very very poor when i took over and uh, already the now you know the trees are progressing but it's taking a long time to learn so um, mm. Hopefully in a few years I can show that, you know, it is possible. Oh, that's so <laughs> exciting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> wow. So sustainability to me is kind of um, uh, first uh, economics, like we touched on. We need to make sure farmers are paid well. Mm. And then we have to look at how they produce coffee because you can store a lot of carbon in the soil. Mm. Um, you can uh, eliminate the need for oil in growing food, yeah. you know. I don't think people are aware of just how much oil yeah. is used in food production. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. I mean, Yara, which is a Norwegian company, they are shipping um, minerals or salts to Colombia yeah. <laughs> on ships so mm. they can degrade their soils and mm. kind of produce more food or coffee and then we ship it back. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 
Oof, that's like that's a tragic way of of, see, of of seeing it, but it is how it is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the coffee is special to me. We produced uh, 30 kilos uh, last year, uh, and we only roasted 15 of them because uh, the other half was not so good. <laughs> but I gotta say, it's delicious. It's so uh, I I particularly like that it's not too dark and it's yeah. fruity. It's yeah. ve- it's mm. it's quite fruity. Uh, mm. It's a ver- Ethiopian variety so the okay. tree is a little uh, different than what's common in colombia and uh, that's why it's so fruity lovely <laughs> so let me ask you what sustainability means for you i mean we've touched on it briefly but if you could like sum it up in a short sentence Ooh, in a short sentence can i can i rather say uh, tell a little story <laughs> yeah let's do that um uh, great. No, because I, I think there's this image that I have of sustainability that I um, that makes sense to me. And it is from, uh, you know, in Norway, we have something called the Norwegian Tourist Association, DNT. Yeah, it's uh, like you become a member and uh, buy and you can pay like ten dollars and you get a key. And with this key, you can access basically cabins all over Norway and you can walk basically all over Norway to these cabins with this key so it's a it's a common it's a shared common Uh, and in all these cabins you'll find a little poster saying um, please leave the cabin as you found it or in a slightly better state yeah and to me that's like the perfect image almost of sustainability it's like leave it in a slightly better state um and and to me that also it means both uh when it comes to humans uh, or animals Mm. but also on, on the environment and we need to now we're just like housekeepers you know for a while we're just here for a short while and we need to make sure that we uh, we sow uh, and we we harvest in a way that leaves the environment uh, in a slightly better state for our kids or the generations coming after us. Um, and we need to treat people, uh, you know, in a way that makes them capable of doing the same. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think to me it's this image, you know, leaving leaving things in a slightly better state. Yeah. Today we're treating the world more like a public toilet. Exactly. Where uh, where we don't care who's coming next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is really bad. I mean, that's a good picture. I think to I will wait to see it, and uh, it is possible to do. Mm. It is, and and but it it takes. I mean. In a way, you can say our grandparents have known, like the the, the generations before us, they, they kind of knew, uh, at least uh, on, on many levels. Like when I talked to my grandfather, he, he passed a few years ago, but he was 106 years old. And he would tell me about how, you know, every fall they would slaughter a pig and the pig, you know, they would cut off this piece and they would put it in a... A big jar with salt and then you know they took care of everything and they used absolutely every little resource and um, they you know uh, would maintain and repair and fix and 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 not create those massive amounts of waste Mm. that we create today I think that's almost like the biggest environmental problem mm. uh, in the world today is because we have this massive overconsumption, yeah. especially in the richer parts of the world. And we, we just we're creating 
huge amounts of waste, but we don't necessarily, at least like in Norway, we don't see it because yeah. we ship it. Yeah, we yeah. ship it away. Uh, we even export our used clothing and we, th- you know, we, we hand in our clothing to charity shops and, uh, and we think that, okay, so it's cool now. Yeah. But 97% of the clothing that we hand in is shipped out of the country. Yeah. So other places, we're creating waste other places. We just don't see it right yeah, here. That's terrible. I think we should ask uh, or look to indigenous cultures like yeah. the Sami culture or like in uh, many other countries that I buy coffee, you know, indigenous people, they they treat the world with respect. Exactly. <laughs> There's actually research into that uh, where you see that indigenous peoples, uh, they they actually have a healthier environment mm. uh, than what mother, many of us in the so-called modern societies do. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, so waste is a problem. Um, <laughs> coffee creates also a lot of waste, I think. Um, we should uh, maybe look at a little... I mean, just... You would think, like, uh, you have written a book about mm. uh, sustainable living, I guess, mm. you can say in English. And um, when I started reading uh, some of it, I was thinking, you know, just living creates uh, carbon footprints. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're kind of doomed. There's <laughs> yeah. nothing we can do, but... Um, uh, in general, uh, is I, let me just ask you: Is it possible to to have a positive impact on the world, uh, even if you uh, are not uh, living in the most extreme way? Mm. I would say yes, uh, but being a part of a Western society um, and uh, like living in Norway, you will probably have a pretty high income Mm. and looking around you, you know, your friends will be um, renovating their flats, making it the latest trend Mm. uh, and they will be flying to New York or wherever on the weekends. Like, so uh, this this culture that we've introduced, it's quite new, the high consumption culture. It wasn't like that just a few decades ago. Uh, but but within that w- culture and and that high income culture, it's it's very difficult to live sustainably. Um, it is possible, but today I would say it's too much up to every single one of us to mm. make the right choice at every given time. And and today when it's so cheap to pollute, yeah. It's so cheap to get on that flight wherever it goes, while as, for instance, in Norway, taking a train, which is basically zero emissions. It's like you could, uh, theoretically, you could travel so much by train without almost any emissions, Um, but but it costs a lot more. Mm. So we have this system that is rigged both for high consumption and for polluting a lot. And within that, it's very difficult to live sustainably. But but that's not to say like I I still think we all should do an effort and and I personally I think that every time I take the train instead of flying, I kind of I'm showing that there's a market for this that you know there are people we are many who wants to uh, have this option and wants that to be improved, um, uh, and we can also make a positive impact in other ways like working either being a part of an env- environmental organization or. Um, voting and asking all our friends to vote uh, on someone who wants change like there are other ways of making an impact that is not directly uh, reducing your climate emission yeah yeah i mean uh, 
a good example is that I used to have a car, or we have a company car, and I used to use it all the time. And then I got a cargo bike, and I never used the car anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just those small little trips here and there, you know, uh, where it's actually more convenient to use the bike because mm. uh, it's easier to park and everything. But also, like, uh, think of all the gasoline that I'm saving, you know. it's <laughs> Yeah, it's actually massive. And there have been research done into especially... Within cities, if you uh, you exchange cars, uh, cargo cars with the cargo bikes for um, transporting goods, mm. packages, uh, uh, so so much of that inner city uh, logistics, uh, it it like we could reduce the amounts of cars necessarily and uh, necessary, and of course the the use of oil uh, amazingly if if just more people did that, mm. and I think we should also. Uh, we need to not um, uh, underappreciate, um, or we need to realize how much, how important it is with these kinds of good examples. That I hope that you're flashing your cargo bike <laughs> wherever you go. Yeah, we are actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but just so because often it's just our uh, our imagination or our creativity. We don't understand the options or the possibilities, mm. and and there are so many of them out there. Yeah, I I heard about this professor at this big uh, Norwegian university who he cycles every day uh, to work to his office and he would always in front of his desk in his office he would always keep his bike helmet on that chair so that every time someone walked into the office uh, he would have to go oh i'm sorry i'm just going to move my helmet yeah. <laughs> so that he would get them thinking about you know i cycle to the office every day that's like, next level propaganda <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow <laughs> very well thought through okay let's let's uh, talk a little bit about coffee because mm-hmm. uh, just before we started recording this episode we talked about why don't we just go through the whole chain and yep. kind of see uh, where the carbon footprint, or not necessarily, you know, tell a number or something, but see where actually we can make a difference. And uh, it's very natural to start at producing countries. We mm. already touched on it, like the agriculture part of it. Um, I know from having taken biology classes or soil biology classes that somewhere between uh, 10 and 30 percent of uh, carbon emissions come from agriculture. Mm. And uh, we could sequester a lot of carbon mm. if we moved towards uh, regenerative agriculture, meaning you would uh, store carbon in the soil. And just to explain our listeners, you probably listened to this before on my podcast, where I talk about microorganisms and especially fun- fungus and mm-hmm. fungi. When they are uh, growing, uh, fungus is basically made of carbon. Mm. So they need carbon in order to grow. And actually, the world's biggest organism is a fungus. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Imagine the lives underneath our... Yeah, and you can have miles the of these kind of little yeah. tubes underneath a footprint. So um, uh, that means agriculture is a big part of it. So uh, what do you think, you know, uh, I'm not sure if you've been to a coffee-producing country, but uh, what do you think will be the kind of biggest change we can do or mm. the biggest impact we can do on at farm level? Mm. Um, I think, well, you've already touched upon the most important things. I mean, we need to, because it's it's not just about climate emissions. Uh, I mean, so you have the more like um, 
uh, nature-wise aspect of it, which is so we need to reduce using fertilizers, um, nitrogen, all these inputs, because what they're doing is they're degrading the soil, mm. and um, and and that's it's bad on so many levels. But among other things, it's also bad because uh, if we want, well, we should use the soil. To, as a way of uh, carbon capture yeah. um, and sequestration. And then uh, you need a healthy soil uh, and a lot of uh, microorganisms to keep the roots, to keep the life going. Mm. And modern agriculture is basically ruining a lot of, of the soil, So, which is bad and for, for, of course, microorganisms, which is bad for um, biodiversity, but it's also bad for the ability of the soil uh, to to maintain co2 uh, and and therefore ruining a big piece of the puzzle in in dealing with the climate crisis yeah um so i, I would say those are uh key aspects but also of course um what type of machines uh i'm i'm you know this a lot better than me tim but but with what types of i i, I would assume that there's some kind of heavy machinery uh, using oil or diesel uh, <laughs> in the production. Yeah, I mean, in Brazil, yes. Yeah. Uh, in most countries, it's manual labor. Yeah. Uh, because it's grown on hills. Exactly. So it's difficult to do machinery. Mm. But um, a lot of times they use trucks, you know, to transport things back and forth. And mm. um, big trucks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So, so I mean, there, that's, that's part of the equation. And... Um, but I, I would think that those are the main issues yeah. in that part of the coffee chain. And just to uh, sum up a little bit about fertilizer and stuff, uh, I mean, mo if you if you use the mineral fertilizer on soil, uh, mm. first of all, it, they are basically salt, so you dry out organisms mm. that are in the soil. Uh, a lot of times, when people till the soil, you know, you kill all the organisms just by doing that, and then. Uh, when you put fertilizer on the soil, most of it is actually leached into our waters and exactly. sea. Yeah. So like the Oslo Fjord is basically mm, dead dying. now. Mm. Uh, you have a big dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico mm. because all the fertilizer from, I think it's the Mississippi River or I don't remember what the river, mm. that's com coming out there. So much nitrogen in the water that uh, too many plankton is growing and mm. the fish cannot breathe. But, and it's the same outside the, the seas of uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, uh, Denmark. It's it's like it's basically dead. Yeah. It's super scary. That's bad. It is bad, <laughs> and, and and but this just shows uh, you know the complexity of the environmental um, the environmental cri the several environmental crises that we are mm. uh, within. How entangled it is, and how entangled it is with our uh, so-called modern way of doing things, like food production. This mm. extremely intense way of food production, mm. which you know originally originated from this idea that uh, to end world hunger yeah. we need to produce more food and then we need to up the um, intensity uh, and and we're going to use all these uh, you know wonder wonder cures like fertili um, fertilizer to to increase the capacity uh, of production but it's actually uh, it's a very short-term way of thinking yeah uh, and it's basically uh, or it's probably ruining our um, possibility for a long-term food production and and yeah which brings me to a question do we actually need coffee haha <laughs> mm -hmm. 
You know, it's funny uh, the way you ask me that. It's some pe- I sometimes feel like people ask me things like, I am Jesus. I am the person <laughs> to say, you are allowed to enjoy a cup of coffee or not. Um, who can say what we need yeah. or don't need? Um, of co- in a way, it's a luxury good. Uh, But it's also a, a livelihood of a hundred million people. Exactly. <laughs> and it's it has long cultural roots. Mm. Um, and <laughs> so do we need it? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I, I think for a lot of us, we would definitely say yes. Uh, and then you can say, okay, but how much? And, and, and the way both how we produce it uh, needs to be changed, but also how many people consume it. Mm. Uh, and and then I'm thinking, especially on the on how, I mean, a lot of us have seen in the workplace, for instance, that you you'll have like a coffee brewer, and or people would just like put on a coffee and yeah. it'll stand there all day, and you'll throw away basically all of the coffee. Yeah. I've also s- wondered always why you, why you can't in coffee machines at a workplace why you can't get half a cup. Like because often, like I think there's so much waste yeah. in how we how we actually consume coffee. So making the right amount of coffee and just as much as you need and not more is also part of it. That's a very good point. And um, back to a farm level, I mean, uh, there's basically very little waste at farm yeah. level. Uh, the only thing they waste normally is the actual fruit pulp and skin that's mm. removed from the kind of coffee bean before it's dried in most cases. Uh, sometimes they use the coffee skin, uh, like the fruit skin, as a fertilizer, mm. but they don't decompose it properly, so it's not that efficient. Um, some people will dry it and use it as a tea, but that's not a huge market. And uh, there has been some cosmetics, you know, starting to use it, but uh, apart from that, it's very little waste, except a lot of water is uh, used to wash the coffee, yeah. which will affect, you know, drinking water for people and. Uh, So, you know, uh, I th- always thought that uh, as a company in the producing uh, or in the consuming part of the you know, chain, we should do our job before we start asking the farmers to do yeah. their job. But uh, I see it as a company that it's integrated, of course, because mm. uh, if I start pushing for more sustainable growing practices, then, of course, we have to support that economically and then maybe that will happen in the future and my goal is to get it within 10 years but uh, who knows mm. <laughs> it's uh, it's difficult but then after uh, the coffee is grown it actually goes to a factory mm. um, and it's called a dry mill where they remove the parchment skin from the coffee which normally is used for uh, as a fire fuel for mechanical dryers for coffee ah. Um, and then uh, the coffee is sorted and everything using electric machinery. Um, but it's always trucked, you know, uh, from the farm to a factory, and then from a factory it's trucked to a boat where it's shipped to Norway. So that's yeah. kind of a part of the industry where there are obvious uh, measures you can do. Mm. <laughs> but difficult, like in Colombia, there are all no electric cars. I mean, mm. Very, very few. Um, but uh, there is a company now in France who are starting to look into sail ships instead of using really diesel ships. They're using uh, sail ships to ship the coffee. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and have they tried it or is yeah. it? Yeah. And it, it works. Yeah, apparently <laughs> <laughs> they have like a very modern uh, sail yeah. ship. And I've seen that, uh, you know, uh, 
fertilizer company called Diara <laughs> are also testing this out because they're shipping a lot of fertilizer. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say um, one of the huge uh, environmental issues that is not probably properly dealt with uh, globally is especially shipping and, and, and flights. Mm. Um, and uh, because it's not, it's actually not a part of the global climate conventions and and the like no one's actually reporting on uh, the emissions from global flights and mm. and ships and taking responsibility for those emissions mm. they just they just happen yeah. <laughs> um and and so so that's like a big loophole within the global climate uh, cooperation um and so especially the big um, importers or buyers of coffee and other goods could make a massive impact if they actually looked into uh, how to reduce emissions from uh, these long um, global transportation networks. Mm. Um, and especially ships. I mean, you also have hydrogen, um, ammonia, how do you say that in English? Ammonia? Or ammonia, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've never, I've, I've actually never heard about sailboats, uh, but but that's uh, interesting. I mean, because uh, I, I don't think um, for for those long uh, shipping measures, uh, uh, electrification is not an option. No, of course not. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, uh, and and in Norway we've come a far away with uh, electrification of the transportation system. Um, but of course, in the countries where you operate, uh, that's often going to be very difficult. Yeah. But there could be other measures like biofuels or even using, um, um, how do you say, uh, like if, uh, food oils, uh, the way, like discarded uh, yeah. um, food oils. Uh, you, so you could look into more what we'd here perhaps think of as obscure or uh, you know not the latest technology but mm. it could actually be uh, something that's fruitful in the countries where you operate where you won't have the electrification system in place for instance mm. yeah i think it's a it's a part of the chain where I, I at least i as a business feel that i have no control over how my coffee is going to be shipped you know i would love the container to be on the bottom of the ship so it's nice and cold you know but you know uh, there are thousands of containers yeah. being shipped every year and uh, i just ship maybe four of them you know? yeah <laughs> but is there any uh, i don't know which company you use or like is there no way for instance in in norway if you as a private customer if you're going to ship something from bring the the local uh, company you can you can you know you can hook uh, off if you want to if you want a climate friendly package yeah. like do you have any way of uh, of doing that when it comes to global shipping i would say that uh, you're first and foremost uh, relying on uh, that there are companies shipping <laughs> yeah um so in every country there are different companies operating of course but uh, i think in general i don't trust the the green marketing of mm. uh, shipping companies mm. uh, because they all sound the same to me like oh offset your carbon emissions by clicking here and then you pay another 10 euros and you know i have no idea where the money goes mm. So I'm not sure if that actually helps. Mm. Um, do you have any? 
in general, I'm I'm not a fan of offsetting. Mm. Uh, so basically, buying some sort of a carbon quota, um, uh, and saying that uh, okay, so you, so this transportation, the transportation you're buying, it has these emissions, and so uh, to compensate for those, we're going to you know uh, invest in some forestry in some developing country. Um, I I really. I don't think that's the way we're going to win the climate crisis. You no. know, what we have to deal with is the the inherent emissions within your business model. So as a shipping company, what you need to deal with is how to reduce emissions from your transportation. Mm. But but that's so my question was mainly, are there any options like is there a green shipping company today that you can uh, that has lower emissions that use I don't know hydrogen yeah. or good question I will mm. try to figure that out uh, <laughs> that's I haven't really thought about it to yeah. be honest um, one thing that is uh, definitely not so good for the environment is to fly the coffee in yeah and some especially smaller businesses like us if we buy an exclusive coffee from Panama for instance that we will pay hundred dollars per pound for or something um, that's how we trade coffee by the pound. So it's half a kilo. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and then sometimes you just buy like, uh, let's say, 100 kilos. And mm. uh, you can't wait for it to be shipped on a boat. And it's too expensive to have a full container. And then there will be a lot of space in the container. So you decide to put it on an airplane. Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> insane. I mean, those emissions of that coffee must just be skyrocketing. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking as well. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my. Uh, <laughs> I I I hope that you will try not to avoid flying your coffee. Yeah, this is a big uh, issue, I think, because uh, in the later years and actually be- right before the pandemic, mm. I started thinking, you know, I'm traveling too much. I was going to each origin every year, mm. uh, sometimes twice a year, to follow up on producers. And then uh, I was thinking, I was there with a colleague and I was thinking, you know, I don't think I need to go here that often anymore because now the farmers know what to do. They could easily just send me the samples and I'll taste it here in Norway and then purchase based on that. We can easily communicate digitally. And then the pandemic happened and what do you know? I haven't been traveling, you know? (laughs) And now it's the year that it's the first time in three years that I'm actually going to follow up on some producers. because you also kind of need to know what's happening mm. at Origin mm. uh, to see what they're doing and you know to make sure that they're uh, on the right path. And also, I want to start discussing organics and stuff. Yeah. But I, I understand that there's a lot of emissions from flying. Yeah. Um, As a single person, it's basically the biggest emission yeah. uh, that you have. And and just to as a kind of a comparison um, in. Within 2030, like there are different uh, scenarios for how big of an emission each and every one of us can have mm. uh, in, in the years to come. Uh, but a lot of researchers are saying that within 2030, each and every one of us cannot emit more than three tons CO2 per person per year. Wow. Uh, and that... To, n- very few people know how much that is. Yeah. Uh, but so it's three tons is the aim aim within 2030. Today, a Norwegian person uh, in general is on about 11 tons uh, per person per year. But if you look at like one single flight from uh, from say Oslo to Sydney, Australia, uh, it comes with an emission of 2.8. Uh, 
uh, ton CO2. So one intercontinental flight between Oslo and Os- or Norway and Australia mm. is almost three tons. Uh, and that's just one way. So then they have to stop living. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, th- does, is flying between Oslo and Sydney, is that like the... the is that the only way of living? I don't, like we can, we can still, you know, what I did in in my book that you mentioned earlier was that I tried to see, you know, is it even possible for a Norwegian yeah. to live within this measure, mm. uh, this carbon budget? Uh, and I actually, I ended up uh, that year on uh, 2.8 tons CO2, so just within the three tons yeah. of CO2, with the emissions that I could could control myself. And, and that was possible. Living in a city in Norway, I can use collective transportation. I can, um, uh, I, I couldn't fly. Yeah. Uh, that's that's <laughs> the point. I yeah. couldn't fly, but I could do. I could live a perfectly healthy and nice life in every other way. Mm. But it it all depends on you know uh, the systems in place. Like here, we have a very good collective transportation system with electric buses and almost no emissions from transportations. And when I was going on on longer trips, I could rent uh, an electric vehicle or I could take it to train. Um, I also took the the big um, uh, the big uh, boat, uh, the cruise ship from Oslo to Copenhagen in Denmark, which has huge emissions. Yeah. But but because I had such low emissions from all my daily travels, there was still room within my carbon budget for mm. that. So. Um, the the only thing I I didn't make uh, I didn't reach my own goal uh, that year, but that's because um, living in Norwegian society uh, comes with a lot of emissions. Just the the, the public infrastructure, mm. roads, schools, hospitals, all that have such high emissions that I uh, it, it completely blew my budget wow. uh, because those emissions also have to be shared on the on the public. Um, but but the, the emissions that I could control myself, I was actually able to cut down a lot. So I'm hopeful that it's possible, but I'm not. It's it's not possible if it has to be up to every single one of us. Mm. It has to be, uh, you know, it has to be. We have to be um, guided by the system in that way. Like, collective transportation has to be cheap. It has to be available. Um, and 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 polluting must pay it must cost a lot more than yeah. it does today. I think I in, in gen- we're gonna piss a lot of people off because people in coffee love to travel. <laughs> and just as a, I use this as an example very often that uh, there was a symposium in the US mm. a couple of years ago about sustainability and mm. uh, this was I think right after the pandemic like it just had opened and then they fly in you know Ooh. thousand people mm. to listen to that from all over the world. It's like why don't you just do it online? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's about sustainability, then maybe you should do it. Start thinking a bit different. And I remember when I was a kid, we had uh, something called Klassen's team, eh? which is mm-hmm. uh, where all the <laughs> kids in class sit uh, in a circle and we talk about what we did there during the weekend. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this was after summer vacation. I remember specifically because I had been to France uh, visiting my grandfather. And uh, I was the only kid that had been in a different country. Yeah. Back in the days, people didn't travel for no. vacation or anything. And today, you know, everyone does. Yeah. Many times a year. Uh, I truly when believe... When you say everyone, it, 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 we are talking about us in uh, in Norway, yeah, yeah, yeah. high income. Like, And often we um, uh, underestimate just how little 
the rest of the world travels. Yeah, okay. It's basically uh, 97% of the people globally do not get on a long distance flight. Mm. Uh, like they, they will not fly any given year. It's like two, three percent of the world's population who actually goes traveling. And uh, really, uh, yeah, wow! I didn't know that actually. It's it's uh, the the inequality when it comes to flying is is just massive. Yeah. So so often we talk about flying as something we all do, but very many people don't. But, but should it be more expensive? I believe it should. Yes. Like I should. I truly believe that if the plane tickets were twice the price that they are now, I would definitely not travel that much. And yeah. Instead of going maybe four times a year to Colombia, I would just spend more time in Colombia when I'm there. Exactly. Which is kind of the pattern that I'm doing myself at the moment. Uh, I'm going to Central America in March. And because I am already have been flying all the way, I'm also going to take the trip down to Colombia so I don't have to go back and forth. And, yeah. you know, just thinking a little bit differently. But mm. it means that you're away for a longer time. But in the digital age, you know, that's not really a problem. Mm. It's hard to make compost uh, online, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this is basically what we're talking about, that um, especially on a company level. It just, it doesn't mean you have to stop traveling. You have to, you know, um, cha- change everything completely. But it it means that uh, you, you're going to have, if you, if you used to have three, uh, three, three travels a year, You'll now have two of them digitally, and then you keep the one travel, for instance. And what can I do to offset my travel mm. as a company? I, I mean, to be fair, I think that a lot of the offsetting that we see is it has minimal importance. Mm. I think the key thing you need to do is to look at your environmental footprint as a company and how to reduce it. Yeah to the maximum so starting pushing towards more sustainable growing techniques for the coffee we buy and stuff like that yes Uh, growing techniques how you ship the coffee Mm. uh, how where your energy is coming from here we talked about the propane or the gas that you use in the um, for the roaster for the roastery um, how uh, how your business is, uh, where you sell the coffee, how you know mm. th- th- that's and of and of course also training uh, the consumer. Yeah. Uh, you know how can you reduce your waste? Um, how can you uh, make sure that every little resource that has gone into this coffee production is being used properly? Mm. I think actually. Um just you know as a roastery we didn't talk about the sustainability at our level but uh, when we changed our roasting machine Mm. because in the coffee world it's very kind of popular to use old machines or at least it used to be because they were you know fantastic (laughs) and then uh, but the design was not very uh, efficient so when we changed our machine uh, that could roast more coffee Um, if we compared kilo by kilo we reduced our propane uh, use by 30 percent And that's also, uh, our old machine did not have any afterburner, so we didn't clean the air coming out of it. Uh, but the new roaster will clean the air automatically because it recycles the, the, the air. So just by changing technology, we could reduce uh, our impact quite a lot. And also here in Oslo, we have a problem with the air quality. Mm. <laughs> so um, by changing the machine, we could actually uh, make sure that we don't uh, contribute to you know, bad air, air quality. Pollution. Yeah. Mm. 
And also we have been thinking, because we are very much a global company, I would say. We have global followers and ship coffee all over the world. But that's not necessarily the best way to do it. We ship coffee from Colombia to Norway. We roast it here and we ship it back to Colombia sometimes. You know, ah. it's, it's insane. Yeah. So um, we are kind of uh, thinking of focusing more on our local market. And uh, yeah, uh, local roasters is good, but uh, <laughs> we are... I think global shipping uh, economy is, uh, mm. has exploded, mm. uh, especially during the pandemic as well. Like you can order anything online and get it shipped. Yeah, and and basically w- the reason why we can that is because so-called external costs are not uh, part of the equation. Yeah. So uh, the the CO two emissions are not properly priced, yeah. uh, and the other types of pollutions coming from that transportation is not priced properly in. So it's it's basically it's way too cheap uh, yeah. to send stuff around the world uh, again and again. It is. It, I'm surprised how cheap uh, transport can be, and uh, still people complain about uh, that we charge for shipping. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, somebody has to pay for it. Exactly. <laughs> but do you think uh, think it will come to a point where you will have to pay for uh, emissions when you do transportation? Yes, I do. Uh, and 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 question is like, where will where will that that pricing mechanism come from? I mean, for probably a few decades now you've we've been talking about a global price of co2 and i don't think that's going to happen it's just too difficult to get everyone on board mm. but i think you'll see more like um, national or regional pricing and you will see that the finance industry uh, is gonna uh, they're gonna get better ways of i mean they analyze risk all the time and then they're now getting better at analyzing climate risk and they see the inherent climate risk in all these different industries such as shipping uh and and they're gonna start i think they're gonna make it more difficult if you uh, consume a lot of um, uh, fossil fuels they're going to make it more difficult for you to get a loan. Uh, mm. It's going to be pricier to get a loan, to get money for reinvestments and so on. So in those kinds of mechanisms, the price to use uh, fossil fuels or to use CO2 will go up somehow. Yeah. Um, uh, the question is just how fast yeah, uh, yeah. and how much. Yeah. I've been noticing that uh, banks, some banks are now having more like an environmental profile and will not finance certain type of businesses and exactly uh, which is great i think it is it's it's <laughs> it's amazing and and the uh, european environment uh, the european central bank has for instance said that they're not going to be funding uh, fossil fuels uh, giving loans to fossil fuels projects and mm. so on so so there are massive movements within the um, financing uh, business and and i think for uh, businesses in other sectors as yourself you need you need to be aware of this and look at okay uh, if i'm gonna actually be able to get a cheap loan to do reinvestments and, and improve my business model i need to uh, consider environmental concerns um, in how i do things we need to touch on one last topic uh before we run are running out of time here but um uh, as a consumer uh, when you make coffee, or even like a coffee shop, when you make coffee, um, I noticed that uh, there's a lot of waste. You mentioned it already. Mm. We make, uh, let's say, in an office, we will easily make a full pot of coffee, and then it, 
becomes lukewarm or mm. we throw it into the sink. And I think that's one of the reasons why Norway is at the top of coffee consumption, because the way we brew coffee is not necessarily a more, the most efficient way. Mm. Uh, so reducing waste is obviously uh, a thing we can do in order to decrease our impact. Is there other things that a consumer can do? Um, mm. We touched about the prices and environment and everything. Like uh, you asked me actually before we started recording, like what can I, what can I do? <laughs> um, and you have been researching this a little bit in your book, but... Um, a little bit, uh, but I, I gotta say, like it's a tough job to be a considerate consumer. Yeah. Um, and 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 I in my book I came up with, or I just you know, I, a lot of people have asked me uh, and my organization, uh, you know, what is more sustainable, coffee or tea? Yeah. What has the lowest uh, CO two emission? And 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 I'm sure your listeners are wondering too, but it's 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 not a huge difference basically. If you use milk, if you especially full cream milk yeah. in your coffee, yeah. uh, that comes with a lot higher uh, CO2 emission because of the methane that the cow produces and so on. But uh, sorry, uh, went off track there. But um, uh, but basically, uh, so in my book, I, I an easy advice. Uh, but not very precise advice is to buy a third-party certified uh, coffee, for instance. Mm. So Fairtrade or UTC, uh, Rainforest Alliance. Um, but I would say that those um, certification processes, they basically, uh, they don't really guarantee yeah. <laughs> uh, that your uh, coffee is produced uh, in... Uh, in um, it, they really don't guarantee that your coffee has been produced sustainably. Yeah. Uh, but they, uh, they, there's a, I guess, a slightly better chance that it's been produced in a slightly better way. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, but it's also just like a minimum. I would say it's like it, it upholds a minimum threshold. Yeah. On on certain regards, uh, whether it comes to you know paying the farmer like a little bit more uh, or it comes to taking care of the environment a little bit more yeah. but um, but what we see is for instance that a lot of uh, small farms whether we're talking about coffee or wine or anything else they don't have the money for a third party certification yeah. so and they can often do things like work on an um, they, they'll have an ideology behind how they do things. So they want to do things better, but they're not certified. Yeah. Uh, so it's, but, but as a consumer, it's super hard. Like in, if you're in a, in a normal grocery shop, you might have to choose either fair trade. So either the coffee should be paying a little bit more f to the farmer or <laughs> UTC or Rainforest Alliance where they have slightly better environmental standards. Yeah. Like you have to choose between these things. And so, of course, if if you have the money for it, and um, then then often directly traded coffee um, can be better, um, especially if you know this producer. Like if you followed Tim Mendelbu for a while, then you know, like you you can have, you will have seen the reports. You you will see the particularities of how you work. But then again, you're not third-party certified no. normally i would say you know go for something that's third-party certified yeah so it's <laughs> as a consumer it's super <laughs> it's tricky. difficult i think you know if one company is selling both fair trade and non-fair trade 
yeah. you're better off choosing the fair trade. And it tells something about the coffee that is not certified. <laughs> but if, if, if it's from the same company. But it's so weird. I, I, I honestly, I don't understand how you as a coffee company can have both. No, I don't understand it either. <laughs> I mean, then then it's like, I'm, so how is that normal? Pro, uh, like, I, I really don't understand the reasoning behind that. Yeah, oh, it's a, it is what it is, and I, I also actually see it as a minimum kind of a minimum wage thing, and uh, I often recommend people, you know, find a company that are transparent uh, about what they do, and uh, that actually show. Not just uh, walk the uh, uh, talk to talk, but also walk to talk. Mm. It's difficult to find. There are companies doing it, and um, uh, all over the world. So yeah, a little bit of research, I guess. Can I ask you? Have you considered third-party certification? Yeah, I have uh, considered uh, something called B Corp. Um, I have uh, looked into maybe getting someone to look at how we. Um, how we can improve without necessarily being certified or anything but mm. uh, like a self-certification but um, I don't see I, you know I don't think I would use it in my marketing um, mm. because for me it's more of a trust-based uh, uh, marketing that we're doing and showing you know what we're doing at Origin and everything mm. I guess I think here's a big difference between a smaller company and a bigger company yeah. and and at least when we're looking into bigger companies I would always say uh, you know you need third party certifications and yeah. and especially we see companies going to their supplier uh, in I don't know southeast asia and and they say oh but we have these audits um and 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 uh, and you see that audits will often have been called out in advance uh, so and, yeah. and and there's there are all these things so um and so for the consumer we would always recommend a, a third party certification instead of just a company themselves saying that we're doing all these great things yeah. but of course it's 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 slightly different with a small company such as yourself and uh, like for uh, following you um, on on uh, the transparency reports that you put out, uh, saying which farm, where you source your things, how much you pay, and and looking at you know the pictures that you put out and, and social media and so on, it's 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 different. Mm. Um, but it makes it very hard for consumers, basically. Yeah, it uh, is. Uh, because Extremely. you know uh, how to f <clears throat> how to actually know for sure that a company is doing what it said uh, what it says it's doing i have like a private rule of thumb that maybe i shouldn't mention but i will do it anyway <laughs> uh, like uh, the more people talk about sustainability the higher probability is that they are not mm. <laughs> so mm. if you're if you're greenwashing budget when that i call it is a <laughs> couple of million where you know everything you do and say is sustainable uh, you know, I know as a company that we're not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, I know that we are uh, wasting too much here. We are spending too much time flying. We're, mm. we're not sustainable at all. We're, we're working towards becoming kind of more sustainable than we are today. But I, w I would never say that we are sustainable. No. Because uh, we are not. Yeah. Um, and I think keeping an honest, uh, honest uh, view on your own company and trying to improve it is a good thing. But if you say that we're the most sustainable, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Sure. No, basically, <laughs> I, I agree on uh, with you on that one. That's a good rule of thumb. Mm. Uh, if a company says it's sustainable, 
it's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, nobody is, I think. Exactly. Uh, today. But um, working towards it is definitely something, um, something that everyone should do. Definitely. Uh, okay, we covered a lot, and I think we're running out of time uh, because you're a busy woman. And um, uh, did you learn anything today? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I, it was so. Uh, I mean, I'm. Uh, I've always had this long-lasting dream of becoming a farmer one day, and I was very inspired by hearing you talk about how you want to uh, introduce composting and doing uh, more of a regenerative way of farming. Um, I think for me uh, that was very inspiring. Yeah, great. Yeah, I can tell you all about it uh, yeah. <laughs> if you need some help. But uh, basically, if you're into farming anything, uh, you should check out Elaine Ingham. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham is a soil scientist, uh, soil biologist, uh, one of the gurus of the world. She's always in these movies uh, about regenerative agriculture because she is the person who kind of coined the uh, word the soil food web and has kind of described how organisms live off each other in a network mm. in the soil and how they feed plants. So that's the way to start. She has actually an online school as well. Oh, uh, wow. I've taken her classes. I went to her farm to do some practical training. Uh, and still you need to figure out how it works in your environment and everything. Yeah. But, um, I think, you know, that's the kind of basics for, of my background in farming uh, and the principles that I want to implement. And it's basically regenerative biological mm. farming. And, you know, people ask me what is biodynamic farming. Uh, it's basically the same. It's just the old fashioned way of doing it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so now the technology is a little bit more available and you can use microscopes to see, assess your soil and mm. see what you need. And it's very much fun. So and this can be used for any agriculture because mm. it's agriculture of life you know? yeah it's it's very easy but um and also should be sustainable more economical viable for farmers mm. and um, yeah there's so many positives mm. yeah i'm gonna look up on that great yeah and i'm gonna research uh, shipping companies good <laughs> i'm glad and uh, think about uh, actually i wanted to make a plan for my company like uh, what activities are we going to do in order to kind of decrease our uh, emissions and hmm. impacts on environment. I found uh, in my calendar that I was supposed to do it last year. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't done it. Yeah. But I think uh, at least as a company, having a plan. Uh, yeah, and then you also need to know where your impact comes from. Yeah. So basically mapping every part of the, the chain, yeah. the coffee chain, and, and look at, uh, of course, CO2 emissions, uh, chemical usage, for instance, and all those different aspects. And then go uh, decide or see where your biggest impact lies and, and try to change that yeah. first. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, the main way to go for basically every business. And you can, be, you can get help to do this, I guess. Yes, from organizations. of course. Fantastic. Well, uh, I think on that, we, that, that was a good uh, ending, I think, because people always want a practical tip on what to do. And mm. that's definitely a practical tip. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for uh, having me. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure for me too. I think we could talk for hours, but uh, <laughs> I know you're busy, so let's uh, round it up. And uh, to all the listeners, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, use our Instagram account, Tim Wendelbow. And uh, Anja Wakenese is also on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> yes, I am. We will uh, put her uh, link in our show notes. So thank you for listening and thank you for coming, Anja. Thank you.